Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The next chapter with Primus Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. It's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is Joshua Perry, a former NFL linebacker who spent some time with the San Diego Chargers, the Indianapolis Colts, a little bit with the Seattle Seahawks. But before his NFL career, he spent and played all four years at The Ohio State University. He had a breakout year during his junior year in 2014, where he led the team with 124 tackles as the Buckeyes went on to win not only a national title, but the first ever college football playoff national championship. Now, Joshua and I met a few years ago while speaking on a sports panel being hosted by his alma mater, Ohio State University. And the topic of that panel was the struggles and obstacles that athletes face in leaving sport obviously a topic that's very important to me. Somebody else that was also on that panel was Greg Oden, the former number one overall NBA pick, who just so happened to appear on the next chapter just a couple of weeks ago. And after hearing not only Greg's story, but Josh's story, I thought, I have to have this guy on my show. So I invited him. And in this hour-long, wide-ranging conversation, we unpack a lot of things. We talk about how his six concussions led to his retirement, one that felt very premature, and how he's been emotionally navigating that process. He also talks about how the hard part in transitioning from sport hasn't been just about leaving sport, but 
having to exercise patience and recognizing that it's going to take some time to build the next phase of his life and his career. And for him, that's meant diving into real estate and sports broadcasting as well. As he so eloquently explains, yes, the skills that we learn in sport as athletes are transferable to so many other realms, but we still have to learn the technical skills of this new craft that we are learning. And that can be a slow and also frustrating process for a lot of athletes. And I know that I've experienced that as well. And Josh also talks about the importance of his family, of them being a safety net for him as he's left football. And also the importance of his childhood and how his parents laid this foundation that was built on love and stability and values and becoming not just an athlete, but a well-rounded, just good person and how that's been really instrumental in his transition from football. I think what stands out for me in this interview is the fact that beneath any and every success story are the slew of struggles that every athlete faces at various points across their athletic career and struggles that often go unnoticed, not only by fans, but by their families, family members and friends. You know, when, when you look at Josh... A lot of people might think, here's this uber-talented, gifted former NFL linebacker who won a national championship, but who's also very smart and very capable in and out of the classroom. And yes, all those things are true. But as you'll hear in this conversation, as you begin to peel back the layers of the story, we can recognize that he too has experienced a lot of obstacles and failures and setbacks and injuries. One moment he even talks about is during his freshman year at Ohio State and the struggles that he faced in trying to figure out his place on a Buckeyes team that had just hired a new head coach in Urban Meyer and the problems they had to go through and endure and how that moment almost led to him leaving Ohio State and transferring. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's Joshua Perry. Perry. Josh, how are you doing? I am very good. How are you? I'm doing well. Are you staying busy? I know you are. Every time I look on your Instagram posts and social media, you're always doing something. You're selling a house. You're closing on a deal. You're running around doing stuff for your foundation. <laughs> you seem like you've got a lot of stuff going on on your schedule. Yeah, I keep it busy. Uh, I like being busy. I think busy is a good thing. Um, if I have too much time on my hands, I get antsy. Um, if I'm not busy, truly, all the work I do um, directly generates income for me. So if I'm not busy, I'm not making money. So uh, it's been <laughs> a, a unique way to live. But um, yeah, just just doing all the things that I enjoy doing right now. Well, it's a, it's an interesting transition to go from being an athlete to a retired one, because as athletes, I think we're so used to living a very structured, organized schedule. So do you allow your, uh, yourself some time to just relax a little bit, maybe watch a little TV, do some yoga, hang out with the fam? I try to. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a streaming guy, so I try to get oh. on. Yeah, so you're a binge it. guy. I am. I and it's it's been mostly movies lately, to be honest. Like I'm on this kick of 
like iconic 90s black movies. So it's been <laughs> unique. It's been fun to, to watch some of those. And then I like to read a little bit too. So um, I'll hop in some of my books, but uh, that's kind of been my way to unwind and give myself a little bit of a break. Uh, you gotta, you gotta throw Friday in there. Friday. Oh I, ho- I hope you've seen One Friday. I get really, ups- you're a little bit younger than me. And by a little, I mean a lot. Um, but I get really <laughs> upset when I hear a lot of the younger generation who haven't watched Friday or I get really upset when they haven't even heard of it. I'm like, come on, man. Oh, no. you Friday gotta- is one of the, it's, <laughs> it's a classic movie. It's so, it's just a good movie. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. Well, listen, it's it's been several months since I last saw you, and and you and I got a chance to be a part of a sports panel at your alma mater, Ohio, the Ohio State University. And this all day event was it was really cool. I've really never seen anything like it. And it was held by this organization called the Sports and Society, and the title of the event was When Sports Ends. And you and I were part of the very last panel, and it was When High-Level Sports Ends. And I'm not going to lie, Josh, when I looked at the roster and the people who are going to be on this in this group, I felt I got very embarrassed and also my self-esteem my self-esteem kind of dropped because I didn't think I really belonged in this group of uh, of athletes it was you and then we also had Greg Oden who's a former number one draft pick we also had a synchronized swimmer we had a sports psychologist Dr. Steve Grave who who also played football there but um but that was that was a really fun day I thought did how did you feel about it yeah, I thought it was awesome, and it was it was really cool because you had uh, a very diverse panel up there. Like, you know, Greg Oden is, like you said, a former first overall pick, but he was a guy who was supposed to be, you know, like the next greatest thing in the NBA, and he had some injuries and, you know, kind of got derailed there. Um, hearing about your career and specifically how you transition out of your career, I thought was really, really interesting. Mm. Um, having a synchronized swimmer up there, who was like truly a high level, high caliber swimmer to the point where, you know, she left her family to go off to a training facility at a younger age was awesome. And then even uh, Steve Grafe up there talking about um, his opportunities as kind of a walk on and what it meant to him when he had to leave the game and then still being connected in his way as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just super cool. I felt like instead of just talking about, sports and necessarily what sports meant to us we got to peel back the onion a lot and we talked about the emotional side of it we talked about uh some of the mental challenges that we face not only as athletes but as we left our athletic arenas and to me i think that conversation is something that doesn't happen nearly enough uh and especially in uh men's sports from my experience uh, in football where it's a tough sport and you know, everybody thinks that they're going to go to the NFL and play for 10 years. It's just not the reality. And talking about some of the mental challenges of understanding uh, what the true reality is was really special. And again, just I think a receptive group uh, who who was there to listen to the panel, who was there to ask us questions when we were through. It was just a super fun day for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I loved I love the just the flat out initiative by the Buckeyes athletic department. I was really impressed. I've actually never seen any. So far, I haven't seen any Division One university do anything like that yet. And the whole day was basically catered to educating and informing student athletes and preparing them for life after sports. And for most athletes, uh, I mean, listen, there's all, all 
there's already a very small percentage of athletes from high school who gets to play at the division one level. I think the percentage is only two out two percent out of the entire high school population of athletes. And then even after that, from college to pros, the percentage drops even further. I think there's only two percent that get get to play at the pro level and, and you got to do that. But it it was really it was really cool and i think that um the discussion needs to happen more frequently so which is the whole reason why i'm having this podcast i mean obviously the focus is about life transitions and how athletes cope with that but a huge part of the, our conversation is going to be about retirement and what happens to players and, and people when they have to shed that athlete identity. And I know you and I were, were going back and forth. And I, I want to give everybody the option to talk about what's m- most important to them. But you you had mentioned that retirement was, was the toughest part so far of your athletic career. It definitely was. Um, and I think a lot of it was truly the timing of my retirement because it was very premature and it was abrupt. Um, based off of a history of injuries that I had. And so for me, I had done a little bit of planning for my retirement. But the hard part is that I'm an impatient person, number one. Number two, I'm stepping into uncharted territories where I played 15 years of football. um, And then here I am stepping into my first year of not doing it. Um, That was tough. And then just some of the options that I had, like I'm a guy who – I like to invest myself into what I'm doing. I feel like I have the skills and abilities to do a lot of things, but, um, you know, doing too much can be detrimental to a point where, um, you know, like, do you get to spend free time? Do you get to have time with your family? Are you maximizing your, uh, your potential or, or what you're being called to do? So I think, um, stepping out of the game into a place where, uh, you, you have so many questions about not only yourself, but like, you said before athletes are very regimented people. So now I got to get up and I got to self start and I got to find all these different things. And like, you know, people really do this in the real world because, you know, I never had to do this in my previous career, just all kinds of different things. And just being mentally and physically prepared to, uh, to do something out of my 15 year routine was a huge challenge for me. Mm-hmm. Do you think you, you pulled the trigger when you say that you, you get a little jumpy sometimes or, or impatient? Do you think you pulled the trigger too soon? No, I think my career ended football-wise exactly when it needed to. I think mm-hmm. my impatience is um, finding the success and finding um, all of the things that I need to do in my next career. So gotcha. for example, stepping into real estate, um, it's a, a eat what you kill type of career, which I enjoy. But at the same time, it takes you, you know, six months to a year to really get started up. And for me, I'm like, man, I ain't trying to wait six months. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying <laughs> to do this, you know, three months I need to be rocking where I need to be rocking. And you know, life's like, nah, bro, you can't just tell me what to do. So, um, being able to deal with that, I think has been the challenge because in football, a lot of times, like, sure, you know, you develop in time, but at the same time, like if I, if I told myself I was going to do something in my football career, it was going to happen. It was going to happen when I wanted it to. Um, life is not like that though. Like things don't happen when you want them to all the time. And that's been a challenge for me. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's a good point. And it's been a challenge, not only for me as well, but I think for a lot of athletes. And I think that we forget that, 
that we had to start at the bottom as well when it came to sports. But the difference is, is we started at four, five, seven, 10 years old when everybody else was just kind of goofing around and going to the playground and other people started playing sports at that age. But the difference is, is that we just, we just stuck to the goal and we continued to do it. So, you know, I've seen, and I've talked to a lot of other athletes and I think that, and this is, you know, even non-athletes too, when you come out of college, I think, there's that tendency to forget that although we've been going to school for so long, we also don't have a ton of life experience or professional work experience. And we all have to start somewhere. And right. and whether you're an athlete or non-athlete, we all have to start at the bottom. We have to start in the basement. When I, you know, when I graduated from from college, I got a job at a television station when I realized I wanted to get into broadcasting. And I was I was thankful I got a job that paid eight dollars an hour. I might have been able to make more working at McDonald's or Taco Bell. I don't know, sure. but you know, <laughs> it's, but like I I get exactly what you're saying. I go back and forth with my girlfriend on this conversation all the time. But, um, she, she said that to me, she's like, okay, so regardless, you, you graduated from college, you played in the NFL. She's like, but do you honestly think that you're going to step out into the real world, having never worked an actual job before in your life? And it's just going to happen all at once. And I'm like, dag on. And it's like that in the business world. But even like you said, stepping into media, like I, I did that, uh, because people passed. I do that because I love sports. I, I never envisioned myself as a sports media guy. So I didn't study broadcast journalism, didn't study communication, none of that. Mm-hmm. So the first time I walk into a television studio, they're handing out the rundowns and they're talking about different segments. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. like, stop, hold the phone. Like, what am I actually looking at? Because I have no <laughs> idea. And that's like, we have so many unique transferable skills from playing sports, but when it comes down to the technical skills of different jobs or different careers, we have no idea what we're doing. And me mm-hmm. as a former professional athlete spent two years of my life um, in a different profession. Now I transition out. I'm two years behind all of my peers who uh, are probably further behind who had internships and they had work study and then they get a job straight out of college. Like I'm, I'm behind the eight ball when it comes to that. So mm-hmm. uh, very unique that you brought that point up because to me, I believe that um, out of all of the opportunities, like that's one of the biggest challenges is now you have to be a real person and, uh, you haven't had that same training that everybody else had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, when, when we were, when we were at the panel and we were, we were going through our hour long discussion, the perspective that you brought to the table was seemed very wise beyond your years and very mature. And you just had an ability to process things, um, including your emotions, I felt better than most. You're 25 now. Yes. Yeah. And and you're still fresh out. I mean, you're, you're only a little over a year at the time of this taping, you're only a little one year removed, uh, from, from retiring. And so you're, you're really kind of in the thick of this. It's, um, that's the deal. It's, it's so strange. Um, and I've always been a very self-aware person. Uh, my parents always used to tell me when I was a kid that I had been on this earth before, you know, like old soul type stuff. But, mm. um, I think that is one thing, like, even though I'm so impatient, I think my ability to, um, be critical of myself and evaluate myself has helped me a lot throughout this transition because, 
Um, I, I do like to take that time to step back and be like, okay, how are things going? Like, what's, what's the reality of the situation? Um, I also do believe that I've had some really good mentors who have given me, um, taught me some good mechanisms to be able to step back and evaluate. Like Dr. Grace was, um, somebody who worked with our team. And so just even being around him and hearing his experience and asking him, uh, about some professional advice, um, that, that was very helpful. Um, but again, like you, you can sit there and evaluate, but at the same time, like you, there's so many unknowns. And like, I, I sit here and I go through things just about every day where I'm like, huh, wow. Like, that's pretty cool. Like glad I know that now. And, uh, I think that's probably the most valuable thing to me in the transition is Mm -hmm. the ability to have learning experiences. Um, because you know, like at at the end of the day, if you're not learning every day, then you're, you're really losing knowledge every day. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you mentioned mentors and, um, you mentioned how you might just have a different perspective than maybe a lot of other athletes. And I feel like that happens at an earlier age, you know, maybe with the upbringing or family and different role models that, that might've had a really positive influence on you. But it seems like just looking back at your career and digging up some information on you, it seems like you've always seen yourself not only as an athlete, but somebody more than just that. I, I was reading up on an article that, um, I forgot the author, but he, he, uh, did an interview with you at the NFL Combine. So this was around 2016. You had just graduated from Ohio State right before the draft. And he said that the one thing that that made him so in, in awe of you, and that was his word, in awe of you, was that you were destined to be somebody that was going to do big things, not only on the football field, but also off the field. And during his interview with you, you had mentioned a lot about your brand and being a character person. Um, so I'm curious with, with regards to your childhood, I know you were born in Tennessee, right? And you grew yes. up in Ohio. Yes. Okay. So what, what was your, what was your family dynamics like growing up in the Midwest? I'm a Midwest girl, by the way, uh, born and, and raised in, in Missouri. I feel like people in the Midwest oh, nice. are pretty nice people. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, probably a little bit too nice, but that's a different conversation. Um, yeah. No, it was it was good. So both of my parents are from uh, Patterson, New Jersey, and if you've ever seen the movie Lean on Me, um, that was yeah. the high school my mother went to, and so she was no way. Yeah, and she's a little bit older, so she was there, and that's a movie, so it was dramatized. But she was there before crack was really on the streets. But like her community was <laughs> one of those that was hit hard by um crack cocaine in the 80s and um she and my dad got married in 88 i think and Mm -hmm. moved from new jersey to maryland and i feel like that was one of the most pivotal things that happened in both of their lives because they were able to leave a community um that was experiencing a lot of negativity that was experiencing a lot of hardship and create opportunities for themselves but um, you know, they went from uh, Patterson, New Jersey to Baltimore, Maryland, where my older brother was born, Nashville, Tennessee, where me and my younger brother were born, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, Toledo, Ohio, and then finally Columbus, Ohio, where we grew up most of our lives. So oh, wow. uh, we have moved around a little bit. My dad was in sales and he did really well for himself. Uh, my mom was a nurse before she had children. She stayed at home with us. And it was just a really awesome family dynamic. Like my dad was a professional man. 
but he was always one of those guys who would tell you how much he loved you. Like it's one thing, even to this day, talk to my dad on the phone. I text him. We always say, I love you. Um, and I thought that was really important because being such a strong leader, um, it was good that he was a vulnerable person. And my mom, um, she is a very strong personality. She's a do the right thing kind of woman. She taught us very strong values. She wanted to make sure that we could read, write, and speak well as children, um, that we were always well presented in front of adults and in front of our peers, and that we were leaders within our classrooms and within the community. And that was a big deal. Wow. Um, so, so you I, had a very, you had, it sounds like you had uh, a wonderful upbringing and, and parents who are very cognizant about you, just your overall development as a person. You've got your mom staying at home. And the fact that your dad was so able to be emotionally expressive and say, I love you. I mean, he's from a generation where that didn't necessarily happen so often. Um, yeah, I, it's wild. I, mean, yeah, he's, I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever watched, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco, the comedian. Uh-uh. Um, nope. oh, so he's a comedian and he, he comes from like an Italian old school New Jersey background. And he says he makes a joke about how his father never, ever, ever said, I love you. And he makes a joke about how he he feels like he officially met his father at the age of 18 years old. But I mean, like, that's just uh, it's just a different generation. Um, so that, that's is. great that your father was was able to have that and develop that relationship with with all of you yeah it's a beautiful thing and i think part of it is um generally generationally my dad did see that but his his father uh wasn't around so much until he was older and so i think he always wanted to be the father that he didn't have as a youngster which was awesome but um in saying all that um my parents wanted to raise um sons that they would be proud of they wanted to raise sons that would become leaders. They wanted to raise sons that would become great fathers one day, great husbands, etc. cetera. Um, but the other thing that I think uh, that was really unique or cool about my upbringing that I think honestly is very impactful in the way my parents parented is the fact that um, I have older parents. And my dad um, was 39 when I was born. My mom was oh. 33 or 34. So Um, and you know, back in the nineties, it wasn't necessarily a thing for parents to wait that long. Like now we're seeing people wait until their thirties and forties to have kids. But back in the nineties, it was, you know, you're married in your early twenties and you're done having kids by the time you're 30. Um, but they had a lot of unique experiences under their belt by then. I think my parents were more fit to lead. I think financially Mm. they were in a position where they could give us everything that they wanted to give us. And they had the maturity um, within their marriage to be able to give us all the things they wanted to give us too. Um, so I think that we birth is a lottery and in a lot of ways, I feel like I won the lottery into the family that I was born in, in the situation that I was able to grow and thrive in as a youngster. I have never thought about it that way. Birth is a lottery. It is kind of a lottery, isn't it? Um, it is. <laughs> I love that. Now, so you're the middle of three boys? Yes. Okay. And where were you guys a sports family? How did you, how did you get, what was your first exposure to sports? Man, my dad was always a big sports fan. My mom hated sports. Um, okay. <laughs> and so my dad encouraged my older brother and I to uh, play sports. And so we started playing basketball at the YMCA, which was really cool for us. Um, being suburban kids, the YMCA we went to, was in the city. So we got to play with kids that we didn't know, um, kids that grew up a little bit differently than us, which was fun. But um, 
and, and then I started playing football. It was flag football, but I played with my older brother's team. So I was playing with kids that were all two years older than me. Um, so and how was, old were you then? Oh man, I was in, in second grade, maybe. Oh so my gosh, that's really young. Graders. Wait, that's that's around eight years old. Yeah. Okay, and so you was, started fo- flag football around eight years old. Yeah, and then when okay. I was in fourth grade, I was ten. I started playing tackle football. Um, by that time, my older brother basically gave up football. He realized he wasn't an athlete, and now he's a musician. He's very good at what he does, but. Um, I came to love competition. Didn't matter. Sports was fun because I could run around and I could be aggressive, but didn't matter what it was. I came to love competition, period. So um, for me, it was kind of just the perfect combination of a very energetic, rambunctious youngster who liked to compete against people like, oh, go play sports and become good at it. So that was kind of the deal for me. Um, as I got better and more invested in sports, my mom did become a sports fan, thankfully. Um, but it was, it was such a, um, I don't know. It was a different experience. Like the first year that I was playing flag football, it was really hard because naturally like fourth graders are way more athletic than second graders, but like Mm -hmm. the, the, the point to get to be as good as those kids really drove me that first year. And then I always kept that competitive edge. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, sure, you were competitive and energetic, but it also helps to have the athletic gifts that you do. You're not you're not a small human being by any no. means. I mean, you're built like a linebacker. So yes. what, <laughs> at what point did you realize, hey, I can be pretty good at at this sport at football? Um, that's a really good, good question. When I was in seventh and eighth grade, the football staff from the high school would come out and watch me play in games. And they were trying to figure out how they were going to utilize me at that point. Um, And then as a freshman in high school, I was still on the freshman team because our coach didn't let uh, freshmen play up on varsity. I had college coaches who were coming to recruit me off of the freshman team. Um, So I understood at that point that I had a very, very uh, strong athletic gift. Um, And at that point, it became the challenge of be the best that you can be on the field, but also like be a leader, be someone people can look up to, take care of the classroom, all of that. Because I wanted to truly be the total package as an athlete. I just didn't want to be the guy who was known for being good at football. I don't want to be the guy who they were like, you know, back in the day, the old school, like all American boy does really good in school and, you know, like helps out in the community is a great athlete. Like that's the kid I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, that's, it, it, it's very, it's a very mature perspective. I don't think a seventh grader typically thinks that way. I think a lot of seventh graders, especially today in today's sport, youth sports world, where there's a lot of over-specialization and a lot of, a lot of hyper-focused mentalities, um, a lot of families and coaches and kids are saying, Hey, I want to be an NFL player and go make millions of dollars and be famous. And they want to say, they want to do that at seven, seven years old. Um, but yeah, that, that's a very mature perspective. Um, so, okay. So you're around seventh and eighth grade years old, you're starting to develop and grow coaches are really starting to notice you, but I would imagine somewhere in high school where you just started, you probably, your body, you probably filled out because by the time you got to Ohio State, I mean, you were, even though you gained something like what, 30 pounds mm-hmm. during your, your, during your time at OSU. But, um, by the time you left high school, you were 
no question, one of the most highly touted outside linebackers in the country. You were a four-star recruit. So what, at what point in high school were you like, oh, wow, okay, we're, we're going to roll with this, and, and I've got a pretty good future here in football? Uh, sophomore year, for sure. Okay. Sophomore year was when recruiting really started picking up for me. Um, the summer after my sophomore year, so I guess going into my junior year was when I actually committed to Ohio State. So um, things happened really early for me in that regard. Wow. Okay. And so here you are going from high school and you're at the big star, big fish in the pond, and you're going to Ohio State. And I, when I'm when I'm talking to athletes uh, during these interviews, I always like to to go backwards or at least learn a little bit more about their childhood and upbringing, because it gives people a glimpse of how sports became a huge part of their their identity. And you know what what you experience even just with basketball and and your family and your brothers and then football and really coming out in in your sophomore year in high school. I mean, those are all important pieces to your life journey. Um, so when you got to Ohio State, what were what were your expectations about yourself and and your future in football? Yeah, my expectations were to become a starter. Um, going into college, I didn't plan my life around becoming a professional athlete. Like I, I didn't I just knew the how challenging it was like even for guys playing at Ohio State to become pro athletes and I'm like okay let me be realistic like I can be a very good starter level player here I can get a good degree kind of be on my way uh, but freshman year I hit some crazy road bumps like um, I, I committed to Jim Trestle's staff at Ohio State he mm -hmm. resigns Luke Fickle becomes the interim head coach um, I reaffirmed my commitment to coach Fickle it's where I wanted to go after his um, year as, as head coach, they hire Urban Meyer. Um, they retain Luke Fickle on that staff. I enroll early at Ohio State, so I'm a semester early. And um, Urban honors the scholarship, but he told me like week one I was on campus that he didn't think I was good enough to play at Ohio State and that if he was still at Florida, he would have never recruited me to Florida. No and I'm way. Like, yeah, and so I'm like, oh, my God. I'm 17 at this time. Like, trying like okay, so like this – already sucks like football is hard like it's harder than it was before now and then my coach is telling me that he really doesn't want me here and um throughout oh my, my god that year, is such an intimidating isn't it ex yeah I mean I um not to go off on a tangent but my my freshman year at at Duke being a student athlete I, I don't want to go back. So many people talk about, hey, I want to go back to college. It was so much fun. I don't want to go back because it was so stressful for me. Just making that transition from yes. high school to college is so stressful. And especially if you join a prestigious program like Ohio State, you have all these crazy expectations. And then I, I can't imagine what that must have been like because you're such a baby. You're 17 years old. And then you're, yes. this new coach is telling you like, bruh, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> recruited you. So... Um, um, good luck. <laughs> that right. must, that's crazy. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there my whole freshman year and I, I'm, I'm playing on special teams, um, but I'm not playing a lot. And, and coaches telling me like, you know, you think too much on the field and you're playing soft right now. And he's like, you know, you should be further ahead than you are right now. And I'm literally going through it and I'm partway through. I'm like, okay, like, is it, should I transfer? Like, should I go somewhere else where I know that, at least like I won't be miserable 
Um, and I talked to my parents about it and they were like, they were like, you're a competitor. So you're going to stick it out. And I'm like, right, I'm going to stick it out. And my sophomore year comes around and I start improving. I'd start getting better halfway through the year. I'd become full time. And then the story after that starts to write itself. But like, there was a, a year, year and a half when, where I was like, okay, like is Ohio state really where my football career is going to happen? Because it was just crazy. The amount of stress, the amount of struggle, the amount of like back and forth that I have with myself. Right. Because you had, because when, when you join a team, the person that you are hoping is going to pull you under their wing and mentor you and coach you is your coach. And if your coach doesn't believe in you and they say that before you've even stepped foot on, on campus, well, yeah, your, your self-esteem, your confidence, um, is, uh, it's just shot, but that, and that's interesting that you share that story because on the surface, when you look at things on paper, it's like, okay, you know, your freshman year, you got a new coach, but you guys still went 12 and 0 right. and it, it, that was a great start. So I would, in my head, if I was just looking at, at the general storylines, I would think, oh, so he's in a pretty good position. You guys were dealing with some past NCAA violations. You weren't able to go to a bowl game, blah, blah, blah. But then a couple of years later, your junior year, here you have a breakout season and that's where you, um, where you really blossomed. I think you led the team with 124 tackles and you guys won a championship that year. So I guess when I'm looking at your career, I think, oh, well, you know, he's a big, big star in high school, comes to Ohio State, might take, might take him a couple of years to kind of warm up and everything. Plus it's a new, new regime. But then a couple of years later, here they are winning a, uh, NCAA, uh, title and, yeah. and, you know, that's just to me in my head, that's just like the normal, the normal journey for any NFL player. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it, it's it's a lesson to all of us about um, looking at end results or, or looking from the outside in and then thinking um, that the thinking that the end result happened from one way or that it was easy when in reality there was a lot of struggle. Because it, truly, if you look at the end result of my career, I was a senior captain. I ended up being an NFL draft pick. I led the team in tackles on the national championship team. I was a four-year letter winner. Like you probably say, man, you know what? Seems like he had a pretty good career. Things probably started off fast and, you know, like he had a good path to getting on the field this and the third. But the reality is there's so much struggle, so many challenges um, that go into it. And it's, you know, it's like the, uh, the iceberg analogy where they say that people's successes are like the iceberg where, (laughs) you know, you see what's on the surface, but 90% of it is underneath. And that's, that was the reality with my career too. Wow. Or the analogy of a duck where the duck is, uh, is kind of floating on the water and then beneath it, there's a lot of, (laughs) yeah. And then beneath it, there's just a lot of like kicking and and all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so did the, did the, struggles did your personal struggles in college prepare you a little bit for retirement after your NFL days because you had been through so much personally I would say so I I think that the thing that probably uh prepared me the most was um the adversity that I faced in college and then becoming a leader on the backside of that 
was kind of an analogy that I use now for like, there's going to be challenges in the beginning of this transition, but you're going to come out the end as a leader. But, um, probably the other thing though, and the thing that made it easy for me is I feel like I've got a safety net within, uh, my family. And so like, regardless of how much I struggle in my personal life, I always know that my family is going to be proud of me and they're going to always be there to encourage me. Whereas like, I know a lot of guys who probably are, are hanging on to the dream a little bit too long, but they're thinking about, you know, they want to do nice things for their mom or they want to, you know, help their cousin out or whatever. Yep. And they hold on to the dream. I don't have to do that. I can, I can take different steps knowing I have the full support of my family, knowing that they're not depending on anything, but for me to be happy and successful. Um, and I think that's such a great thing. But it sounds like your family was not only supportive, but I, I want to dig into this and be specific because families can be supportive, because, but they can be supportive in the wrong way. And it sounds like they were okay with you not playing in the NFL and being a professional football player for as long as you could, because I've seen firsthand coming, coming from the, the professional tennis world, but also the place that I trained at in, in Tampa, Florida, which was Saddlebrook. We had a lot of NFL and NBA guys, uh, baseball guys that came through and there were a lot of, as you just mentioned, a lot of particularly male athletes that tried to keep living the dream way longer than they needed to. I mean, they, they could, they should have pulled the plug about five to seven years earlier and they, they weren't making any money. They were journeymen, but yeah. a lot of it was because their dad, for example, was saying, was in their head saying, you know what? I don't know why that other guy got the job. Yeah. It's all, it's all NFL politics. It's all BS. You're better than him. You've got a stronger arm. You've got a stronger leg and just feeding them all this just kind of like noise. That's not, not only, um, not helpful, but it's not objective either. No, um, it's, it's, it's funny. It, I mean, I can speak to that because I've got friends right now who are doing that exact thing. And we're sitting here, at, what is it, week four, week five of the NFL season as we're taping this. And I've got guys who I know around the league who are on the street right now. And all they do is go to the gym and then they go home, probably play a little bit of Fortnite or NBA 2K. And then <laughs> they might go back to the gym later on tonight. And that's literally all they do until they get a phone call for somebody saying, Hey, we want to bring you in for yep. a tryout. And then hoping that they do well enough in the tryout where there's probably going to be eight to 10 other guys there that they sign them, hoping that they get signed to the active roster and not the practice squad like that. And, and it's because, and you realize it too, because like for me, I can sit back right now and I'll flip on a game on a Sunday and be like, I'm better than that linebacker. I'm better than that linebacker. I'm better than that linebacker. But like, that's not a reason for me to continue to chase a dream. It's not, and I had the injury thing going on anyway, but like, even if that was my deal, like I, if I was out of sports because they told me I wasn't good enough and I think that I'm better than somebody, that's still not a good reason for me to chase the dream because mm -hmm. it's truly a detriment. Like these guys are not building any functional skills. They're wasting good years, good working years chasing a dream. And there, I, I get it. There's something to be said about perseverance, all this, that, and the third. But you're not making money. You're not building skill doing other things. Are you really helping yourself? Because to me, the guy who's smart is the guy that goes and they train in the morning and then they go and they intern at the TV station or the radio station or yeah. they go and intern at the bank. And then maybe they get their night workout in. But at least they're building 
skills somewhere in there. But these guys, and it's it's a mentality of the athlete that we need to work on as well, where we're so hyper-focused on becoming great at our sport and nothing else really matters. Everything else is secondary to now when you're, you're seeing a divergence from your ability to play your sport at a high level and your goals of playing sport at a high level, then everything else you kind of filter out and you hurt yourself in the long run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't. That's that. That is definitely going to be one of my goals is not only getting the big named athletes to come on this show, but I got to share those stories because those are the real stories talking about the guys. I, 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 I'm saying guys because I think this is generally. Oh, it's a male thing for sure. It, it definitely is where they are exactly what you're talking about. They are waiting around, sitting on the couch, doing playing video games, not necessarily furthering their education or doing anything to stimulate the brain and build round out their experience and perspective and their training. And then maybe doing maybe, maybe like a side gig. They might actually be bartending, waiting tables, you know, maybe working in an office where in a a position where they don't really care about. Um, I mean, the list just, just goes on and on, but you know, I want to get back to, your NFL career, because so here you are, you graduate. So now we know all the things that you went through. But on paper, I mean, your your resume looks great, right? You yep. you were um, you had a breakout season your junior year. You gained a good thirty pounds of pure muscle. There was a, <laughs> there was a picture. <laughs> did I don't know if you did this or somebody else did this, but there was a picture that was a comparison of you from I think it was. 2012 to 2016. Yes. And yeah. Did you do that or did somebody else do that? Our, our strength coach always oh. gave us one of those, like at the <laughs> end of the off season to let us know how, how our bodies have developed. Let me tell you, you looked a lot better than Tom Brady did when he left college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that dude looked like he could have been, I don't even know. Like, uh, I, I can't, I can't even think of something, but not an athlete, really not somebody that you would imagine as a multi Super Bowl winning, um, QB. So you get drafted and you get drafted in the fourth round by the chargers and you sign a, a multi-year deal. And at this point, what is your what are your goals with football and what is your perspective on your future in terms of when did these head head injuries start coming into the picture with your with your career? That's a good question. I um I I had two concussions in high school. I had two in college and I had two when I was playing in the NFL. So oh. uh, I feel like six concussions is probably a little bit too much, but Um, you know, the mentality of the athlete in general, but especially like the male athlete playing football is, you know, my body is made of iron and steel and you cannot hurt me. And the Mm -hmm. only thing that can hurt me is a bad mentality, all that other BS. Like we, we know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I get to a point like my rookie year, um, was healthy that whole year outside of a couple of bone bruises on my knee, played really well on special teams, led my team in tackles on special teams. Um, that coaching staff that I was there with my rookie year gets fired. Um, going into that next off season, I'm playing well on special teams, but I'm struggling to pick up on defense, um, partially because I was in between positions. Like I didn't fit as an inside linebacker in that scheme did not fit as an outside linebacker. Um, but I was feeling overall confident. The guy who was like the special teams captain the year before, um, they had just released him. So I was getting ready to become special teams captain again. Like I'm leading those units. Um, the end of the preseason, they cut me. Um, 
after I sustained a concussion. So going into the 2017 season, had a concussion that cut me, gave me an injury settlement. So I'm on the street. Um, Indianapolis brings me in for a workout. They sign me mm-hmm. uh, doing well there. That staff gets fired. I get cut during that offseason. So now I'm on the, the tryout circuit. Finally, uh, Seattle picks me up. And during training camp on just a regular, like everyday type play, got a concussion, uh, sat in the hotel room, called my mom and dad, called my agent. I'm like, I'm hanging it up. So it was, it was just kind of wild. Wow. That was, yep. wait, so it was that quick. And so it happened yes. that summer of 27, 2018, right? Yes. 2018. 2018. And it was, you said it was during, um, practice. Yes. Okay. Wow. And yep. You obviously remember what happened. Yes. Yeah, so, I, was, uh, I was running a stunt um, up front. I was twisting. I ran into um, an offensive lineman. We kind of just collided awkwardly, but it wasn't like a big collision, if that makes sense. And like the next thing I know, I'm standing there and the coach is signaling in the play and I cannot remember the signals for the life of me. Um, so I step off the field. I get a, like a little sip of water. I start to feel a little bit woozy and then I'm like, all right, like I, and I, I, I knew what was going on. I felt that feeling before. Um, so I go inside to the training room and at that point they diagnosed me with a concussion. I'm like, oh man. That's it. That's it. Did you experience any other symptoms, uh, in addition to the just, you know, confusion, you know, they, they often say that some of the other symptoms and a lot of them, unfortunately, they don't, they don't come to the surface until many years later after the hit, but had you experienced anything else such as headaches or blurry vision? Um, it was headaches for me. And then, uh, sensitivity to light was a huge one, um, throughout all of mine. But, uh, for this last one, I only experienced it, I think with uh, one other concussion was the uh, nausea aspect where they say like, um, mm-hmm. you feel like you're about to throw up. And that only happened to me with an, one other one. But that was a big one that I experienced right away. Um, and I was just um, at that point, I'm like, all right, like we know what the deal is. I had the mental fog, like the whole deal. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of it was rough because like you almost wish it would have happened on like one of those knockout shots where I was like delivering a big hit or something, but it was just like a regular type of play. Right. It was very, uh, it was not as dramatic as you would imagine, especially after, I mean, that's the hard thing about, about your final moments as, as an athlete. It's very, very rarely is anybody going to go out on top, like a Peyton Manning where he got to win on a Super Bowl and, and leave his career on his kind of on his own terms. Right. Oftentimes for athletes, it's just this, it's just this kind of almost sad, melodramatic, uh, close to the chapter. Um, but did you, had you thought of retiring at all before that day? Um, I had considered what my next steps would be if I were to get another like catastrophic type injury or another concussion. So, um, I not like, Oh, I'm going to retire, but like, boy, you know, what, what does my athletic career look like if X happens? What does my athletic career look like if Y happens type situation? Right. So, so that day was, was it July 30th or was it a couple of days before that? Cause I know you announced your t- retirement on July 30th. Um, it was a couple of days before. A couple of days before. 
Okay. And um, I have your retirement announcement and I was going to read some of it, but I think, I think it would be best. Would you want to read it? Have you looked over it since you sent it out that one day on, on Twitter? I haven't looked at it in forever. Would you like to read it? I can send it to you. Sure. Okay. I'm texting it to you because I was, I just, um, I took out some of it, but if you want to just kind of revisit that and, um, and this is, and just kind of go over what you, how you announced it. Sure. So, um, I sent this announcement over, uh, Twitter and Instagram and it was, um, you know, I had basically two days to write this. Um, and it really didn't happen in two days. It happened. This that I wrote happened probably in like 15 minutes. Um, like the day that the news was going to break and, um, I was on a plane coming home. The team hadn't announced it yet. And I waited until I touched back down in Columbus, um, before I actually sent this. So I was home from Seattle. I was in Columbus. Like I was literally done. And, uh, that's when I sent it. But, um, the excerpt as it reads is as I recently sustained my sixth documented concussion. It wasn't from a high velocity, big contact play. It was a very pedestrian thing. And that was a huge concern to me. The last thing I want to do is put my health put the health of my brain and my future well-being in jeopardy over a game and a paycheck. It says football has opened so many doors for me. I graduated from the Ohio state university because of football. I've made lifelong connections because of the game of football. Football has taken me all over from volunteer work in Costa Rica to the white house to meet our 44th president and beautiful beaches of San Diego. I put in, what about Indianapolis and Seattle? I'm they're, sorry, go ahead. They're not as beautiful. And okay. I'm forever, forever thankful for that. And then um, some other stuff in between there, thanking a lot of people who were pivotal in my journey. But after that, it reads, as for what's next, I'm happy for the opportunity to spend more time in central Ohio. I plan on getting my real estate license in the near future, which I did like literally a month after that. And I'm going to chase my aspirations in that arena. I also hope to stay close to sports through writing TV and radio, which is absolutely what I've done. Um, I've written a couple of pieces, one that was on Bleacher Report while I was still playing. Uh, TV-wise, I, I do some work with the Big Ten Network as a studio analyst. And then on the radio here locally in Columbus on 97.1 The Fan. And then it reads, and lastly, but surely not least, I plan on expanding the footprint of the Joshua Perry Family Foundation through some new projects. I'm super excited about these opportunities. Thanks, y'all. And so for the JPFF, I'm actually going to an elementary school when I'm done taping this to drop off some school supplies. So I'm expanding the footprint for that as well. That's um, awesome. It, it was, I'm glad you had me read that though. And I'm, I'm trying not to be emotional as I talk about it, but. Like, I mean, but this is what, and I want you to, and this is what the show is about. And maybe I should have really explain that to you before we did the show is, is the whole reason why I created this is to create a safe and healing space for athletes. Um, because I think having been on the other side as a member of the media for now 16 years, 
there's a the level of empathy has to be taken out of it, right? Because as members of the media, we have to be unbiased. Sure. And we have to be objective. And we just have to get the facts and the details. But I've always considered myself, and it took me a really long time to figure this out, but I was never a fan, never of sports. And that's a really hard thing to say when you're a part of sports broadcasting, because um, you're kind of, it's kind of frowned upon when you say you're, you're not a sports fan, but I consider myself as an athlete first. And, um, and some of the things that we're talking about right now is, is really tough. And honestly, I, I get emotional when I, when I read that, even though, um, even though you and I just met, you know, several months ago earlier this year, but anytime I, I, I have to hear an athlete and that moment explaining themselves in a press conference or an announcement about why they had to leave the game and that this is it. It's, it's closing the chapter of a very significant chapter. I mean, I'm struggling to find words because it's so hard it's to hard describe. To find words. It is. It really is. Um, and, and I, I don't know, that was really my, my first time reading that in like a year actually. So, um, it's, it's weird seeing some of the things that I put in there that have happened. Um, it's weird for me to read that reliving the emotion with which I wrote that, because like I said, I had a couple of days to write it, but it really all came out in 15 minutes. All of that to me, like, you know, from top to bottom, everything that was said in there, the way it was worded, all of that, like just happened in a moment. It all just spilled out of me. Um, and I don't know. It's just like, it's tough because that right there was a snapshot of basically the summation of, of my thoughts about my retirement, my thoughts about what I was going to do next. And then it seemed like for me, that was a big moment. In reality, the world keeps going and we keep on moving. And that's exactly what I've done as well. But um, yeah, it's just wild. I think you you just hit it on the head when we talk about when we talk about retirement from sport. We talk about transition. I don't think that there are very many words strong enough. And the words that are strong enough, they're hard to find to describe what that means and how it feels. Um, and I, I really am glad that we have this forum and this platform right now to talk about it because, um, it's a big yeah. deal. Like it was a big deal in that moment for me. It's a big deal right now talking about it again. Um, it's going to be a big deal for a lot of people who are going to go through the same exact thing. I think that the one word that has been described to me, I, I finished my master's in counseling psychology and the program was called uh, positive coaching. So it's kind of a, a mix between counseling psych and also sports. And um, we were talking about injured athletes. And one of the words that came up when talking about what happens when sport is no longer a part of an athlete's life is grief. And I yes. thought, wow, you know, that was, that took me, took me a little, um, by surprise, because I thought, well, you know, when we think of grief, you just think, oh, I'm only supposed to feel grief if, if somebody has passed away or died. But grief can happen in so many different ways. And sure. it comes in all shapes and sizes. And a lot of that has comes when there is when there's an end to something, an end to a relationship, an end to a career, an end to an, an identity. And that's what, you know, that's what it is. That's what retirement is. Um, but what's interesting is, 
is that you could still be taking, I think you and I were talking a little bit about this on, on text, like you can still be taking steps to move forward, but, and now I'm adding this, but internally you may or may not be moving forward just yet. Sure. And I, I'd see that all the time. And that's, I mean, probably where I was for um, a little bit as well. But do you think you've moved? I mean, it's only a little over a year. And I'm going to share my story because I think uh, uh, some people have, have heard it by now. But it, I thought I was done around like 25 and 27 and then come 30. And then around 31 years old, I there were some health issues that I was experiencing. I decided to go get some help, get some therapy. And I didn't realize it, but the I had a lot of issues over how my career ended. And it wasn't until I was 31 years old when I really realized when it came to the surface in therapy. So with that in mind, I'm just curious of, you know, and it's hard to have that self-reflection when you're going through the storm. But do you think that you are completely over it? Or do you think you're still in the process of just coping with it? I I think I probably will never be satisfied with the way that my career ended. Um, and I, that's the reality. I feel like most athletes probably live in that world, but I don't think that I will ever say that, you know, I wish I could go back and play because okay. I don't, like, I, I'm very content with the things that I do. Um, I'm not worried about the money I'm making good money doing what I'm doing right now. I get to spend more time at home. People I care about, um, you know, old friends and everything, but like, there's always going to be part of me that will probably be disappointed about how my career ended. And then always you'll wonder like, okay, maybe if I didn't get hurt, like, does this happen? Does that happen? What situation am I in? Could I have done this? Whatever. And, Mm -hmm. but that's like anything else. It's like, you know, I bet you a lot of people wonder, you know, after four years at a certain university and then they graduate, they're like, man, maybe what, what would have been different if I was a senior in high school and I would have picked this school versus the school oh I graduated from? Oh my gosh, I hear from. people say say that all the time. You know, all the time. We, all, we all live with that kind of stuff. Like that is, that's literally human nature's life. Um, and we find ways to deal with it. So how have you dealt with it? How, what do you, how do you, and that, I, I think that's so crazy that you're able to verbalize that. Um, maybe that's just you being very emotionally aware and, and, um, able to have that macro bigger picture perspective. Cause I can tell you right now, I was not capable of saying that or admitting that to myself at 25 years old, nor was I still capable of doing that at 30 years old. And that was like, you know, I mean, so how have you dealt with that? Because, I, um, yeah, I don't know. No, no, I, how have you dealt with that? I just, I guess early, um, in my retirement, I probably dealt with it in way less healthy ways than I deal with it now. Like I felt like the first thing I did was I took a, a departure from who I was as an athlete. So I was like a, um, you know, 5am wake up call kind of guy, um, always in the gym working really hard. Um, doing, you know, super healthy eater, that type of deal. And then I retire and it's like, okay, um, I can drink however much alcohol I want to. And I probably drank way too much. Um, I can eat whatever I want to. And I, I am still trying to shed pounds from a year ago, uh, reflecting upon that. Um, and, you know, I can get up whenever I want to. So I was sleeping in till, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever. I'm not that guy. 
Um, and so that was how I dealt with it at first. I also was, um, I was bitter and I did a couple of things to people that I cared about that, that I, I am regretful of. And, um, that's just like honest conversation there. And I wish mm-hmm. I can have some of those moments back and I could be in the moment, uh, way more, more thoughtful of the consequences of some of my actions. So, um, that was tough to deal with. I think now, um, being now a year out, I can be more reflective. I can be probably more honest about, uh, the situation than I was at the beginning of it, like not making excuses and not trying to compensate whatever. Um, but the other thing now too, is that I, um, I have a clearer picture of what my opportunities are like, my prospects are like in retirement. And now I can invest myself into those instead of investing myself into a place where I've got time and I'm not doing a whole lot and I can be self-destructive because I, I said it earlier, I think being busy for me is great. Um, I'm probably more self-destructive when I have free time than I could ever be when I'm busy just because I'm doing other things. So that was Mm -hmm. really hard for me. Um, and you know, just like still trying to, for in some ways, like I said, right, you retire from football and then you gain 25 pounds. So I'm still picking up the pieces from that, trying to get the the weight off. Um, you know, like some of the, uh, relationships I'm talking about where I was probably, uh, a little bit callous and, and very rude to certain people about certain topics. I'm trying to pick up those pieces and put that back together right now too. So, um, dealing with that has been hard and it's, I mean, it's truly a byproduct of me not knowing how to deal with my retirement early on. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think that the emotions that come with it are very heavy. Uh, and what I've noticed is, and this happened to me too. And also Greg Oden shared that shared some of the similar, a similar story to, to yours and that, and, uh, you know, right after the retirement, a lot of athletes kind of go through a, it's a combination between a self-destructive period, but also it, it's combined with, oh, you finally have a little bit of freedom. So it's both, you know, you're kind of celebrating, okay, it's not, this is not ideal, but hey, I get to just be a normal person, which means I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to go to bed at a certain time because I don't have to be on the football field at 6 a.m. or training or whatever. I can just let myself go. But then along the way, I think that there are still these emotions broiling in our in- internal system. And you kind of use this, not you, but just people in general, including myself. Right. We used it as a coping mechanism to just cover all of this because let's be honest athletes aren't we're not taught to feel we're no. taught to uh, numb you I'm know saying, we're taught the exact opposite of feeling, right yes. you're taught to it's like you know don't cry what are you whining about get up right. stop resting you know stand up move fast you know and um and i just think it's just such an abrupt change to go from this robotic mindset of no emotion And then all of a sudden you close the chapter on this period of your life and you have all this emotion until this day, at least right now, it's probably one of my, I think it's the hardest transition of of my life um, to date. And I've, I feel like I've, listen, I've, I've lived a very, um, uh, I'm very thankful for a lot of the opportunities that I've, that I've had, 
But in terms of, you know, I, I moved to Tampa, Florida when I was 12 and then, you know, make, I suffered two stress fractures. I have four surgeries. Um, you know, I've gotten laid off twice, most recently at ESPN. I'm making a career change. I had a baby, you know, like there's a lot of stuff, but I will still say that that life transition of stepping away from tennis and sport was, was definitely my, my hardest. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild. Like in uh... I, I, I agree with that. Like out of all of the things that we have probably done some really awesome things and, you know, just different life changes. Like I could probably point to this transition from sports is one of the hardest things, but you were talking about, um, doing self-destructive things and coping. And I think like part of the reason why, um, you don't go to the gym or you drink too much or you eat too much is, because people will always ask you, do you want to go back or do you think you can go back? And then I'll look at my my developing gut and be like, no, this this gut couldn't play football. You hmm. know, like mm-hmm. it's 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 easier to say like, well, yeah, my career is actually over because, you know, now I'm too out of shape to play. Like, I think that's a big part. And it's like anything else where, you know, you'll come up with every reason why. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll confirm to yourself that you made the right decision. It's like, well, I'm a year out now and I feel like Mm -hmm. I couldn't play football even if I want to. And it's like, no, you're a year out and you did not good things to your body for a year. And that's why you can't play because if you were still in the gym, like you would be ready to go. And it's just like, I don't know, as athletes, we can't just admit that it's over and it's time to no. move on. We got to, we got to talk ourselves into it a lot of times. I would, I would actually think, and this is a compliment. I would actually think that your perspective is a little bit too realistic and underselling yourself because we've seen a ton of pro athletes. I'm not going to go through the list who have tried to make comebacks um, under the age of 30. And I would argue that you still are kind of capable of, of hanging with the best of the best. And, you know, I'm curious if when, when you're, or if you watch football, I don't know if you do, but. Oh, I do nothing but watch football. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's got to be really tough because I know that during the retirement process for a lot of, especially pro athletes, the most pride swallowing experience is seeing a lot of your peers and friends still playing. Yeah. And, and it's seeing, seeing them have success too. And it's human nature, but that gives you a little bit of bitterness, to be honest. Of course it does. Of course it does. I mean, because especially your class in you know 2016, I don't know how many Buckeyes were in that first round, but there were a lot. I mean, yeah, we, had we had five Joey guys Bosa. go in the first round. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I can name them all to you. Joey Bosa, uh, yep. Ezekiel Elliott, um, Eli Apple, Darren Lee and Taylor Decker. Um, and then Mike Thomas was a second round pick that year. He signed a hundred million dollar deal. Zeke just got paid. He got 50 million guaranteed. Joey Bosa is going to be coming up here probably next year. Um, expecting some big money. Like yeah, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. Like guys are doing really well for themselves and guys I know personally, and I'm sitting over here, like, you know, things are happening in my life, but it's like not to the tune of 50 or a hundred million dollars. Right. Right. I know that's, you know, how do you, so when you are going through that, how do you process all of that? When you, when you're watching football and you see a lot of your, your friends, of course, it's, of course you're happy for them, but it's just one right. of those things where, you know, you, you might think, well, that would have been nice to have that, that contract. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it would have been really nice, but it's not my journey. And, yeah. you know, like the reality, this, this is probably going to sound a little bit cocky to whoever's listening, but like I've watched my dad have success being a regular guy with, you know, like a, a regular job. He made good money. I feel like I could do better than what he did with some of the opportunities and connections I've made. Mm. So, you know, like $50 million is nice. It's very excessive. You know, like if I could go out there and I could, you know, make a, a very good living doing other things, um, like I'm, I'm very comfortable with that aspect as well. It's just like, you know, I think you, there's always the, you know, what would have happened aspect or like, you know, Hey, it could have just as easily been me aspect that kind of, um, that kind of makes you think, but at the same time, it's like, God obviously didn't want me to have that journey. He wanted me to be doing something else and he wanted me to have to get it a different way. And I've got to be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. What, so what kind of things are you doing now to fill your time and also passion projects that fill your, your soul. I know that you do, you're super passionate about real estate and your business and you also have your foundation. Um, but what are all the things that you're doing right now? Uh, it's, it's everything. Um, so the real estate I am passionate about, um, I think that's something that, um, I can become very successful with, but I'm also, um, transitioning into media now in a bigger capacity where I'm doing, um, big 10 network now in studio Fridays and Saturdays. And that's time consuming during the week, doing all my prep and study for that. And then being, um, in a different city, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, you know, that takes away from what I do with real estate. It takes away from what I do with my charity. And then I still do radio work back here in Columbus as well. So, um, during the week I get to be busy, you know, I love taking time out to do, um, different shows and different podcasts with people as well. Um, but, kind of when we were texting, it's one thing I mentioned is I feel like I'm on a bit of a divergent path that I'm trying to find a way to make converge again. Um, because you know, like if, if I get my reps in and I become good, I could be one of those people who becomes a national media person. And I think I'd be very content doing that. Mm -hmm. However, um, I think Columbus is a great place to do real estate and it's a growing city. Um, the numbers are ridiculous. And I've got some really good connections. For example, this guy who I went to high school with is doing a development in a rejuvenated part of the city and, um, you know, looking at ways to partner with him on that. Um, like, how do I balance those two things? And part of it is like, okay, I could, I could keep my license active. I could start a real estate company back here. Um, I can, I can have other agents who, uh, who work for me and do it that way. But, you know, like, how, how involved in the day to day can I be if I'm somewhere else doing things? And then, right. you know, it's like I could invest fully in the real estate thing, but then am I leaving something that keeps me connected to one of the things I love most in life and sports? Um, so it's really like trying to figure out how the yeah. hell do I, I, how the hell do I balance all this? I think that's a good, I mean, I think, I, I think everybody goes through it. I'm actually, you know, over the past two and a half years, I've been through that as well. And I think the reason why it's a little bit more confusing for athletes is because when you have a sport, you're, you only have one thing to focus on and it's very easy. And it's very easy to pick apart your game and say, I know this is my strengths. These are my strengths. And then here are my weaknesses. So th these are the areas that I need to work on. And because everything is so technical, it's easy to figure out like what, what you're going to work on, not only today, but over the next several weeks and months. But then when you hit the real world, I mean, there's really not a lot of guidance. There's not a lot of structure. 
sometimes you have to create the structure for yourself. And there's about a gazillion paths that you could go in. And then within those paths, there's about another gazillion other ways to reach your end goal too. Um, But, you know, I think for you, it sounds like you have a ton of things going on and I don't think a lot of athletes or football players, there's, there's a lot of people that may not be in your position. So I think it's nice to have those options. Yeah. You know, options are great. And I'm, I'm forever thankful and always grateful that I do have these options and the ability to do different things. And that, um, you know, I've, I've built skill in mm-hmm. a few different arenas. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, for, for somebody who's just in a different journey now, it, it can get a little bit, um, hectic. It can get a little bit overwhelming trying to figure out. And then you get into the point because like, you know, as we can probably tell now, I'm very introspective, but like you, you really get to the point where it's like, okay, like what's my true calling? Like, is, is my calling to be in media is my calling to be a business person is my calling to fully invest in my charity work and then leave the other Mm -hmm. two things completely out. Like I have no idea yet. Yeah. Well, I will pass along if I will, if I may, um, because you're going to, I think that you are going to experience this. um, I don't want to say confusion, but explore explorational process, not just here at this juncture in your point, but multiple times throughout your career. And I was talking to Don Yee, who's Tom Brady's agent. And Don is an an awesome, not only agent, but he loves being serving as a mentor. And through broadcasting um, and through friends, I, I kind of have developed a relationship with him. And I actually sought out his advice for just some career stuff. And I was like, Don, I don't, you know, I got laid off from ESPN. I kind of reached my goal. I don't know if I'm done with broadcasting. I know I feel a certain way about it, but that might be just different kinds of emotions. And so I'm exploring all these things, going back to school, whatever. And he was like, Prim, just, he's like, I know that it is the typical mindset, especially among athletes to constantly be going and going on a fast railroad track. But if you could just imagine a beautiful garden with a ton of different paths and trees and flowers and everything, and you're in this garden and it's your, it's your opportunity to explore. If you could just envision that and have fun with it, then I think everything will, will fall into place. But for now, like you don't have to go anywhere. You just kind of have to just explore and have fun with it and, and smell the roses along the way. I don't know. When he told me that, I was like, hmm. Okay, that's different. And that makes sense. It's not easy for me to do, but that makes sense. I was going to say that. And like the part, because it does, it makes perfect sense. And I think it's comforting. But the part that we have, for me, like I have to break out of, I don't know if you face the same thing, but like you said, you know, you don't have to be going anywhere. You just need to stop and do this. And it's like, okay, it sounds comforting, but we were always told that you can't grow through discomfort and like stopping and not going anywhere. sounds like the most awful thing in the world, but, (laughs) but for like our mental sake for our, probably for the well being of our careers or whatever it is, like sometimes like stopping and just being present and being there is better than thinking about what the next move is. It is. And also, um, when we did that Ohio state panel, I actually, we, a bunch of us went out to dinner that night and a lot of the economists who were on that board, um, they were there and I, I had a really 
kind of in-depth conversation with one of them. And he said, you know, you know, obviously as economists, their job is to analyze trends. And he said, well, in terms of the job market, because I was talking about his son who's in media, and he said, you know, long time ago, the trend was to have three to four jobs over the span of your life. But today, it is now three to four careers over the course of your life. That's a lot, you know, because the, the old school, you know, your dad, my parents as well, they're all about like, Hey, stability, get a job, loyalty, put your head down, work, grind, stay with a company for 24, 25, 30 years, whatever. That doesn't exist anymore. That does not exist, you know, because look how many people are getting laid off left and right, not only in the media landscape, but just, that's just the tech world because we're, everything is so fast paced. And when, when that gentleman told me that I was like, wow, you know what? Guess what? I had tennis. I had broadcasting. And now I'm applying to get my doctorate because, you know, I'm going towards counseling psychology. So I guess in this essence, this is probably my second or third career. And then according to him, I might have another one left. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 wild, though. And like you bring up a really good point because I lean on um, I lean on my dad for advice for a lot of things. But uh, when you break it down like that, my dad is the example. He uh, he worked for one company for 31 years. Uh, he retired <laughs> yeah. and then he went back, um, to the same industry to be a consultant. And so for 40 yeah. years of his life, basically he's done the same exact thing. And so when I have this conversation with him and he, you know, he gives me advice, I'm like, you know, all that sounds good, but is it practical in 2019, what you're trying to tell me? And that's not to disparage any of his advice or anything, but no, it's just 100%. the reality. Like, you know, things are happening a little bit differently right now. It is. And that's why, you know, as, as I've gone, uh, as I've gotten older and I've progressed through my career, I begin to talk less and less to my parents about <laughs> career stuff because now it's just way over their head. Like they don't understand. They don't even understand what a podcast is really. Um, right. And they don't understand that this is a burgeoning uh, area within the landscape of media, you know, and they're like, well, what about if you go back to school and, and, you know, further your education in journalism? I'm like, journalism is not one of those things where you need, you don't need school. You need life experience. Like that's yeah. not going to make you any better. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. but they come from the background of, Oh, got to further your education. Um, so, I mean, listen, like I, at least in my experience, you know, I think parents and family members and every, you know, they, they have wonderful advice to impart. But I think also as time will go on, you'll probably see that a lot of that advice, especially in today's job landscape, is a lot of that is a little bit outdated. But, you know, you've got a good head on your shoulders. And I know you've, you've got some mentors along the way um, that, that are definitely going to be willing to help you out. Um, yeah. But, you know, as we... Um, as we wrap up here, I, I could keep talking with you, but I know you got, you actually got stuff to do. <laughs> um, but I'd love to have you on again and sure. maybe, you know, maybe it would be another year down the road or a couple of years down the road, because I'd be so interested to see how, how we could like pick apart this conversation and then play back some of it to you. And I'd be interested to see what your thoughts were at, you know, where you are at this point in your life, but, you know, looking at your athletic career and how you've transitioned, what kind of advice would you give to some of the younger athletes, particularly football players out there with regards to their identity with football and preparing for life? 
Yeah, I would say a couple of things is number one, that football is not your identity. It is um, something that you do. And I think, again, part of you talked about grief being in the uh, transitional process out of sports. And part of it is because literally like something inside of you died, like a part of your personality died. And if we can understand that um, things that we do aren't necessarily who we are, our personalities, I think that's helpful. I think um, for football players in college at elite schools, understanding that there's more to life um, and that campus has a lot to offer and that some of your classmates will be the next CEOs of different companies. So spending time around them is important. Um, and not even just that, just like getting to know people in your community is an important thing in general. But like, if you want to be that guy, like somebody's going to hit it big out of your class. So get to know those folks. But also the, 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 the final thing I would say is to learn how to be vulnerable. Like don't let the first time mm -hmm. that you truly feel vulnerable be the, the day you retire from your sport, because you're going to be screwed. I promise you, um, you're going to be going through a lot more than you can handle, and so if you can be in a place to where you can get your emotions under control and you can allow yourself to feel a broad spectrum of emotions and then identify them and, you know, respond to them, et cetera, you're going to be more well prepared than being the guy who's never been emotionally vulnerable. And then you get a compound fracture in your leg and can't play again. And now you're a different person. So, um, that's super morbid what I just said, but it's reality for a lot of people yeah. and the better equipped you are to face to face that reality, I think, um, the better you are down the line in how you transition out. That's awesome. I'm just sitting here with my, my head resting on my fist, like, man, I could have heard that advice like 18 years ago. I know, right? <laughs> I wish somebody would have where told were me you that. At, Where were you? Where were you? 18, well, you were, you weren't even, yeah, yeah you were seven years old. I was like the first grader. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the little Josh Perry first grade, <laughs> given sh shedding some wisdom there and some light to the older me. Um, Josh, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you just opening up and, and sharing everything about your journey. Um, it's really cool. And it's, it's, um, I think it is really inspiring to just see how you process everything. And I'm going to keep bugging you to come back. Maybe not, you know, maybe like a year down the road or whatever, but, um, stay in touch. Let's definitely do that. I appreciate the platform and the opportunity to share. And, uh, I appreciate your thoughtful insight and questioning and, um, you know, just what we were able to, to talk about today. For sure. By the way, um, let people know where they can find you and, and if there's anything you want to plug. I know you got your foundation going. You've got your camp next. I know it's not until June, right? But yes. what, do, what do you want to plug here? Um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. Um, the latest thing I'm doing right now is Real Men Wear Pink campaign for the American Cancer Society. So oh. I'm trying to raise a little bit of money doing that. Um, you can Google Joshua Perry, real men wear pink, and it'll take you to the landing page. Um, click on my beautiful face that's on there. Um, <laughs> and you can donate. Uh, it's a, a really good cause. I'm going to be sporting a lot of pink on TV this fall um, in support of that cause. But um, I, I think we can all indicate somebody in our personal lives who have been affected by one type of cancer or another and how big of a need there is for uh, money for research and, and not only just research, but supporting families who are um, affected by cancer. So, um, Shout if you out. feel, that's awesome. if you feel like you want to help out a little bit, please donate for sure. I love it. Thank you so much. That was awesome.
The next chapter with Prim Sarupapat is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.